Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel? It's going great, Chris. You know I love recording. I, I love talking with tech days. Rachel, I have to say, I know you're in Pennsylvania right now, but you're looking tan. It's looking. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> you're not in California, and you've got the tan going on. <laughs> you know, I've been spending a lot of time outside. I have this beautiful patio that I've just been like enjoying, and yeah, I mean, it's like full-fledged summer now. So I've been like out and about, um, and getting my tan on. Yeah, I'm working on it. the The light here in the closet is not great. I look like this green, pale lizard monster sort of thing here. But uh, we are actually watching the neighbor's pool. The neighbors went away, and so they said, "Hey, you seem like responsible neighbors." <laughs> we fooled them, and then we so we've been going over there and spending some time in the pool. So I'm hoping to catch up with your tan here in a little bit. Of course, safely. I, I you know put a lot of exactly. sunscreen on. Lots of SPF. I've also like been seeing some really cool low-tech AAC in the pool, poolside. So that's something that is always really fun to see. You know, the floaty boards that have like the taped like low-tech board on it. And there's lots of really creative things that people are doing with like pool noodles and all these things, you know, because kids need kids need to communicate when they're swimming. So I'm loving all of the awesome ideas I'm seeing on social media. If you've seen something like that or if you created something like that, please share it on the Facebook group over at facebook.com slash talking with tech. Let us know what what you're using, what kind of solutions people need to learn from them. Yeah, I know. It's really cool how we can kind of crowdsource these types of things. So you got a tan and I'm working on getting a tan, but you know what gets in the way sometimes? What? Clouds. Clouds get in the way. And in fact, not just real clouds that block the sun, but sometimes you're inside participating in a conference like AAC in the cloud. And that's been I know you and I both participate in that, like you said, separately. We uh, have done that separately. But um, tell us about your presentation. What was it? What did you do? What, tell us all about it. I was really excited because I actually presented with Lauren Enders, which her and I have been trying to coordinate a presentation for a long time now. I feel like we're kindred, kindred spirits in AAC and finding really fun and engaging tools to help facilitate communication. Um, so anyway, finally got to present with her. It was awesome. We talked about uh, engaging tools for virtual learning. So we just uncovered a lot of really cool things while I was preparing for this presentation. I found out some really cool stuff about 360 video, uh, virtual field trips. Um, I also found really cool stuff with Google Earth. So if you haven't uh, checked out the, uh, if you didn't check out my presentation with Lauren, you still can. That's the beautiful thing about ANC in the cloud is you're able to watch after the fact um, and it's completely free. So um, definitely check it out because I'm really excited about these virtual field trips that I'm going to make all of my kids go on with me because <laughs> now I have a whole playlist um, of videos for virtual field trips. Um, and it was something that I was kind of doing a little bit already, but I feel like I curated a playlist and I'm really excited to share it with everyone. So what's just one video on that playlist that kind of stands out? If I was going to go on this virtual field trip with you, uh, where would we be going? We would be deep diving with great white sharks, Chris. That's what we'd be doing. <laughs> it's so awesome. There's a really cool National Geographic ones where, and, and let me just explain 360 video you hit play on youtube and you have to have an updated computer that's part of it like i was on my mom's old computer and i was like why is this not working <laughs> i was like oh it's too old um so you have to have an updated computer but 360 video you hit play and you're able to scroll and look 
around 360. You can do a 360 circle. Um, so it's really, really cool and engaging. Instead of just hitting play and watching a video, you're able to look around, you're able to talk about what you see. Um, so I like the great white shark one because I mean, who doesn't get excited about seeing sharks up close and personal? I feel like it's almost shark week though. Doesn't that happen in the summer? It does. It does. Totally. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I've um, played with 360 video before. We've um, dabbled with it a little bit for making uh, transition videos. So imagine a student is transitioning from fifth grade to sixth grade, and they're moving from building to the next building. Well, what we do typically for most students is you do like a little field trip, like all the fifth graders go and they go and they walk around the, the middle school and they get this tour. And it's like this one shot at learning about the uh, that environment. But what if you did a 360 video of the school and shared it with that student who might need to see it multiple times. Um, that way they could go and have that live experience, but then they could go back and watch it and be prepared for it. So uh, there's one thing of doing like go and do these amazing experiences like swimming with great white sharks that most people will not get to do. And then there's like the day-to-day -day routine of like making your own that could be really practical for people. Yeah. And kind of similarly, there are, um, there's a section of Google Earth that is meant for online learning for kids. And so that was what I was super excited to kind of stumble upon. I was like, oh, like Google Earth, this feels like a good idea. And then I just started exploring and found all these really cool games um, and really good for older students, actually. I feel like it's hard sometimes to find activities that are engaging for older students who are using AAC. Um, and this, um, and I shared this in the presentation, um, this specific portion of Google Earth is really great. You can work on literacy skills, you can read, um, and then it takes you, it transports you after you answer a question, it transports you to a, you know, specific area of the world. And like you said, you're able to kind of look around the same way you're able to do on Google earth. Um, so anyway, it's just a really cool way to engage students. Um, and like, it's nice because you can, it's almost like you're, you're able to, to scan you know, a video to find things um, and talk about what you see and describe things that you see. And it's really fun for kids because they don't know what to expect if they've never seen the video, even if I've actually repeated some of the videos with kids. And like, there's this anticipation and the surprise element, like, oh my gosh, like there's the shark. <laughs> and so it's like really fun for kids to experience. Did you get a chance to participate in any of the other sessions in, at AEC in the cloud? Because there were tons of good ones. I know that I was like, I got to catch, got to go back and watch this one and this one. But did you able to get to do any live? So I got to see you live, Chris, just for a little bit. So you, you kicked off the conference. You were like one of the first presenters, weren't you? It's true. It's true. I was one of the first sessions to go. Yeah, it was uh, all about um, coding and robots, stuff we've talked on this podcast before. I mean, we've, uh, in fact, I put some of the links to the episodes uh, right there in the presentation. But um, what was a little bit different about this one is that um, I tried to make it as interactive as possible. So I did a little demo of what block coding looks like and talked about some of the tools a little bit. But then I had different interactive elements. So the idea was that you could go and, well, the first thing is, that um, a lot of people don't know that they have computer science standards in their neck of the woods. Like you, you might know about literacy standards, you know about um, your your science standards for your school, but most states and really 
places beyond states, provinces, territories, wherever you are in the world, might have their own set of computer science standards. And so that was really eye-opening. At least that's what the feedback I got from people is that, oh, we took just a few minutes. Go find what the computer science standard, like Google that, right? Find it. And then we put it into a spreadsheet so that we could have like a long list of, uh, of what those computer science standards are across the world, you know? So that was part of it. And then at the end, I had people um, come up with a goal, essentially pick a, co a core vocabulary word. And then what would you do now that you know more, a little bit more about robots and block coding? What kind of experience would you design? So there's a, a Google form that you would fill out to kind of answer some questions about the design element of the experience you're trying to put together for students. And uh, again, then that feeds a spreadsheet that anyone could go, oh, you could look up the word stop and you could say, okay, what computer science standards can I use? What um, activity did this person design? And it would essentially generate a crowdsourced resource for people so they don't have to always come up with the new experience themselves, you know? I love that, Chris. You, of course, did some crowdsourcing, which I feel like you're really good at, and everybody really appreciates because no one wants to reinvent things. We want to, you know, be able to plan sessions and... I love that idea of, you know, bringing it together and also in real time, right? Like that's so cool that you had people engaging. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to catch your whole session because I had to see kids. Um, <laughs> I had to see kids all day yesterday. So it was like quite hectic because I was like, okay, like I need to bump this session a little bit early so that I can hop off and present at AAC in the cloud. And then I have to hop back off and then I have to see more kids. So it was, yeah, quite a stressful day. Um, but, um, it sounds like your presentation was really great and I'm excited to check the rest of it out. Um, because we talk a lot about coding. I know a lot about it from you, but I still haven't like really played around with it. I'm still feeling a little daunted. So I need to watch your presentation and then I'm sure I'll come back out of it feeling a little more, uh, tech savvy, if you will, with coding. Well, there, there's so many other presentations I got to go see, go back and see. I mean, there's hours and hours worth of content there. It's a very real problem now that there's almost too much professional development out there and that I can't even decide what I want to see and what I want to spend time on. I mean, just AAC in the cloud this year alone, let alone the previous years they've done it, and that's still all good content. Um, I did sit in on Alyssa Wern. I'll give a shout out to her real quick, uh, her presentation on related services. Um, so that was really good. Uh, of course, I went to... to uh, uh, yours and Lauren's. So definitely good ones to check out. But I, there's so many more. I, mean, I saw Amanda Hartman was there presenting and she always good, does good stuff uh, on Facebook. I see her videos and I'm like, oh, and of course, I've met her at conferences and uh, I was like, I got to check what, you know, her, her presentation out. And there's just so many more. There was some some stuff that I hadn't heard of before. So those are probably going to be the first things on my list to go check out. Yeah, I know. There was just, there's so many great speakers that I, I feel like I need to take an entire week off of work and just like watch AAC in the cloud. <laughs> really? It's a conference, you know? <laughs> it is. And it's just, it's so great because we all have different perspectives. I mean, obviously we know, we kind of have a foundational knowledge. Most of the people who are presenting about AAC, we, you know, we know about core words, we know about the research, but what I love about it is that people all do things differently. Like they all have different clinical experiences that they can bring to the table, things that they've tried that have been really successful. Um, and so I feel like it's that where I'm listening to a presentation. I think, wow, like I never would have thought to do that. What a great idea. All right, so Rachel, let's talk about, um, what should we talk about today? How about the interview with Eric Raj? What is going on with Eric? Oh my gosh. Let me just say, I love Eric Raj. Him and I, I feel like could talk forever. <laughs> we are just like, 
I feel like we connect every time we talk when we see each other at conferences. He's been on, he was on, um, one of the, the mini episodes that we had from Asha. And I was like, okay, this was so great. You have to come on for a full episode. So that's what you're about to hear. Eric was so nice to come on to our podcast and share all of his, all of his tech tools, uh, which is really exciting because you know, Chris, how much I geek out on tools that can be used for communication. Um, he actually specializes in fluency. So, um, he's not, you know, necessarily doing AAC work, but he has really great ideas and tools that he's sharing with us, um, which I'm really excited. And there's also a bonus episode on our Patreon, um, of his absolute favorite, uh, tools and hacks. Um, so if you haven't joined our Patreon, go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech. We would love to have you support this podcast. If you're an avid listener of this podcast and you love it, um, you can show us how much you love it by joining our Patreon. Um, and that's where we post extra content, um, and ideas and videos and lots of things are going off in the Patreon, um, including Eric Raj's bonus episode. So without further ado, let's listen to Rachel's interview with Eric Raj. People all over the world need augmentative and alternative communication. Despite the global need, some areas of the world don't have access to the same resources as others. Low-tech AAC can be a functional, cost-effective way to bring communication to more people universally. Low-tech tools are also used widely by high-tech AAC users to have a backup or alternative means to communicate. These low-tech tools often get torn, crushed, crumpled, soaked, or otherwise destroyed easily. They aren't often made with durability in mind. Enter PixiePal, a durable low-tech solution. Place printed symbols in transparent plastic containers called Pixie Snaps, which fit snugly into a portable carrying case. Each case allows for three double-sided Pixie Snaps, giving people six surfaces to interact with. The carrying case acts like a book, allowing a user to flip between multiple pages of symbols. This innovative design makes PixiePal the perfect, portable, customizable, and splash-proof low-tech solution. You can check it out for yourself by following at PixiePal on Facebook. But that's not all. PixiePal has partnered with some amazing organizations, such as the Nika Project, the Kaizora Center, OIC Cambodia, and many more to help bring functional and affordable AAC to anyone in the world. PixiePal has been a UNICEF Champions of Children supporter since 2019. The first generation of PixiePal is blue, in tribute of UNICEF's work worldwide. A PixiePal crowdfunding campaign has already launched. You can follow, comment, and share the initiative by going to PixiePal.com. That's P-I-C-S-E-E-P-A-L.com. That's pick like picture, C like with your eyes, and pal like a friend. Send them a direct message and register your interest for one of the first PixiePals ever made. Each time a PixiePal is purchased, another PixiePal will be donated to one of these trusted partners. The goal is to donate 1 million PixiePals worldwide. To join us in being part of this global movement, go to facebook.com backslash PixiePal and hit the follow button to help bring AAC to everyone in the world who needs it. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Meadle, joined today by Eric Raj. Hey, Eric, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. How's it going with you? 
I am so excited. So I, before we got on air, I was telling Eric that I've had numerous people come up to me after we heard you from Asha. You were at Asha this year and I was so lucky to have you stop by our booth and grab you for a second for a quick recording. So many people were like, that guy, Eric, he was so great. And so I was like, thank goodness. Let's, let's give the people more of what they want. They, more, they want more Eric Raj. Well, I'm pumped. I can't wait to chat with you. It's always a blast having conversations with you. So let's just start off by, you know, explaining a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So as you said, my name is Eric Raj. Eric with a K. My mom had to be a little bit fancy. None of this Eric with the C stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a speech language pathologist and I live and work in New Jersey. And I am a private practitioner where I have the opportunity to work together with children and young people who stutter. That's something that really resonates with me. And I am also a professor at Monmouth University, which is a school right on the Jersey Shore in West Long Branch, New Jersey. And at that university, I get the cool opportunity to explore and research different bits of technology. And I get to really hone in on stuttering in ways that really make my, my clinician's heart sing. Because as clinicians, we always have we have questions, right? And as clinicians, we understand the power of evidence-based practice. So I get a chance to really live it in a way that is super fun. And it makes me just so jazzed to wake up every single morning. Well, and I think that that's something that I know about you is that you're really into technology, which is why I was like, we have a podcast dedicated to technology. We have to have Eric Raj on. And I know you speak to this subject a lot when you're giving presentations. So let's, let's dive into some of the tools and the technology that you're using that you're finding really useful in your practice. Absolutely. So I enjoy the iPad in a, in a very real way. And you and I, we understand the iPad in that it's not necessarily the iPad per se, it's the stuff that lives inside of the iPad, right? So it's that software piece that gets me just so jazzed. So different apps allow for us to really, I think, connect with children in such beautiful ways. So I know apps are very broad. There are many different genres and categories of apps out there, but I can say that all apps have some instance of benefits to children. It's all about how you use it. So as the practitioner, you kind of set the stage as to how you want to interact with that app. One of my favorite genres of apps currently are apps that are defined as photo manipulating apps. I love the idea of using the camera that's associated with the iPad and then tweaking the picture that you take with the camera in a way that usually generates a load of laughter, a load of just smiles and um, just mind blowing because you know, sometimes children, they can tweak the picture so that their face looks um, a different color, right? Or their hair is a whole different style, or maybe they have a big um, stretched out smiley face. And those open-ended experiences can really be so nicely woven into our goals and objectives. So I'm really doubling down on understanding these types of photo manipulating apps and how they can generate a load of smiles. Because if you got a load of smiles, then you have a load of open doors that could really usher in so much great conversation. 
Absolutely. And I'm a big fan of using those types of tools in my practice. I feel like anything that gets a kid laughing, we ha- we now have, a, like you said, a door open to communication. And it's just, it's, it's something that kids get really excited about too. I feel like there's something to be said for when a child, you know, maybe even isn't expecting it, but then sees their face pop up on a screen and like funny things are happening to it, right? Like you can add a hat, you can add some cool glasses and there's lots of different opportunities to talk about those things and have kids help you, you know, in creating something, a a funny picture of you or a funny picture of them, I feel like is such a great way to just uh, build rapport, but also you can simultaneously be working on goals. And I love how you mentioned, Rachel, this part. You said something like, have the child help you create something. And that's what I'm all about. Like this idea of apps, right? Sometimes people view it as this um, one-sided experience. And rightfully so. Sometimes we see people kind of just giving the iPad to a child and they use it as a type of a pacifier. It's like, hey, you know, here's this digital thing. Kind of go in the corner and, and work with it, right? But what you just mentioned is the beautiful give and take of what I think technology can be. It can be a shared experience that is so similar to a shared book reading, right? So when we sit together with a child, let's say this child is, I don't know, six years old, right? There's something very special that happens when we have a shared book and we're actively turning the pages together. We're talking about the thing that we see. We're going off on tangents, but they're not necessarily tangents because they're still kind of related to the pictures or the words that are in front of us. I think that we can do the same thing with technology. So we can create different pictures. We can speak to those pictures in the same way that we speak to the shared book in front of us. So instead of saying, tell me about this character in the book, you could say, hmm, you just created a really unique character in this picture that you manipulated. Tell me what would the story be like if this were the beginning of a story and you just created this picture? So it brings them in this wonderful narrative experience where they could really start um, a wonderful story. There could be a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And everything in between are opportunities for us as the clinician to hone in on those specific goals and objectives that is just so prevalent to the to the overall experience that we want to kind of infuse. And another thing that I oftentimes will do is I'll use specific apps to create characters, like you said, and then I'll screenshot it. And there's an app called My Story. It's, I think it's like a couple dollars. It's not very expensive, but you can import photos and there's stickers and there's all these different ways you can, there's backgrounds. So there's a castle, there's like outer space, there's underwater. And so you can really start building that story that you're talking about. And there's a record function. So you can have a child record the story after they're, they've either written it or they can do it verbally if they're working on formulating sentences. Um, but I think it's so cool when you can personalize these types of things. You know, it's not just like, let's make a story. It's like, let's create, let's be a part of the entire process, right? Like we're creating the actual character. Sometimes I, kids want to be in the story themselves. And so it's so cool that we can just snap a photo, manipulate it, And all of a sudden, we have a character to a story that a child's about to create. Totally. As SLPs, as caring educators that work with children, we always hear that word individualized, whether it's individualized education plan, whether it's more of a broad individualized educational experience. And what we're speaking about right now is we're taking the opportunity of putting the child actually 
in the creation. And that's something very powerful, I think, for a child to be able to see themselves in some sort of learning opportunity in an attempt to get them to use their words or to kind of think in certain ways. And I love how you mentioned the fact that there's recording instances. So to get our children to be able to see themselves, but also to be able to hear themselves because the voice is such a, it's a beautiful sound. And I really want all of my clients to recognize that their voice is powerful. And not only can they create a wonderful story that they helped sculpt, but they can also speak about that story in a way that you and I as a clinician, or excuse me, the client and I can hear in that moment, but then maybe we can email it to mom. And then maybe mom could perhaps share that with other pieces of the, not pieces, other um, individuals within the family units. And that maybe allows there to be some beautiful carryover where the stuff that we're doing in our speech room could somehow start to exist outside of the speech room. And all the while they're able to hear themselves in that creation and then that triggers even more conversations so it's a it's a beautiful um tidal wave of auditory goodness yeah and i often um oftentimes i will absolutely share these stories because kids are typically very proud i've also had situations though where kids are a little nervous and they don't even you know maybe they don't want to hear it right they don't want to listen back or they start listening and they made a mistake and I feel like even that opens up a conversation about, you know, just talking about our feelings, talking about how, you know, sometimes we make mistakes when we're, we're speaking and that's okay. Um, and so I think that even that is a really great conversation starter. Um, you know, if a child doesn't want to share the story, we can kind of start talking about why. Um, and almost, and, and with a lot of the clients that I've worked with, we can work our way up to feeling confident enough to share that story with um, parents, with teachers. Um, but I always have that conversation with kids um, to say, I want to share this with your, your mom and dad. Would that be okay? Um, and that conversation in and of itself, I think this is an important one to have too. Oh, that's beautiful. It's really empowering that you're asking them that question and they can really see that they are a part of the process. And when I think about videos, I think it's important for us to recognize the data that essentially a video can be. So this very open-ended idea that we're speaking about right now, the child uses some sort of app to create a picture and then the picture's talking in some capacity. I want future clinicians to recognize that they can consider doing something like that in September, right? And then they do therapy and then maybe revisit that same thing again in December. And then they do speech therapy and then try to do that same thing with some variations again in February. And that's something we can bring to an IEP meeting to say, you know what, check this out. Let's listen to this. And this is from September. And then compare, contrast it with a few months later. Let's hear the February version. And let's see, is there any type of growth? What do we, what do we notice? And I think it's important for us to realize the, the real data that some of these end products can give us. So on the surface, it looks like, oh, it's just this activity that is generating smiles. But oof, no, it is so much more important than that. It's giving us real long-term um, longitudinal type things that we could point to throughout the journey of our therapy. 
I completely agree. I actually was just going back and I was cleaning. I use Loom. I don't know if you're familiar with Loom, but it's a video recording uh, tool that you can use on your computer. And I was going through and trying to organize it because it's it's a mess in there. I'm like looming, you know, a couple times a week for sure. And a lot of times I'll loom these clips and I'll send them, I'll password protect them and send them to families. But I was looking through and I, I happened to stumble upon some that I took last year. And I was listening to some of these stories that, you know, we were working on and just to see the amount of progress that we've made. It's just so cool. And I actually, it's so funny you shared this because I actually sent one to the mom. I'm like, look where we were this time last year. And so it's so cool to see, you know, the evolution that happens. Oftentimes we're so close to the situation and to the child that we're working with that even, even we don't see how much progress has been made, um, you know, in specific intervals of time. Totally. So I've been thinking a lot about this idea. So screen time is a very hot debate. People love talking about it, right? So the way that I think about screen time is kind of set up in a way where there's kind of two categories, if you will. So there's the the active screen time and there's the passive screen time. So the way that I think about it is when we create something using some sort of app, we could consider that active screen time in that together with our partner, whether it's another child of the same age or perhaps it's the clinician, together something's being made. And during that making process, discussions are happening and there's a lot of verbal um, instances that come along with the making, right? So I feel like that's very powerful. And sometimes people forget about that side of the digital coin, if you will, because the other side of the digital coin, I suppose, might be the passive screen time. And what that might look like is when you're kind of just looking at the screen and you're just consuming something, whether it's a, a YouTube video or whether it's some sort of game where there's not necessarily as much um, instances for verbalizations. And it's interesting how something can start off at the surface and it looks like it's passive, but then we as clinicians, we can help to evolve it into something that's more active. So this idea of sharing a YouTube video. So it's not uncommon for my clients and I to maybe watch a two minute long YouTube video. You know, after getting to know our clients, we really understand their likes and their dislikes. So right now, a lot of my clients enjoy these types of like slime videos where they're making video or they're making slime with certain types of ingredients, but certain types of like sparkles and um, different colors. So that whole genre on YouTube, the do it yourself uh, craft creation genre, that's a cool experience where as clinicians, we could essentially sit down with our clients and we could be silent for a couple minutes, allow them to watch it, but then there's power in the pause button. So we pause the video and then we simply allow there to be space and we might say something like, hmm, so what do you think of that? And maybe that opens up the dialogue, or maybe you could just do some um, auditory recall, auditory comprehension. Hmm, what were those last two steps? I forgot. Do you remember what the steps were to make that slime? So things can be passive, but they don't necessarily have to be passive because as clinicians, we can add an active spin to it. So we're not necessarily creating something in that moment, but maybe through that power of the pause, we're creating great conversations and then we could take it beyond the digital landscape and then maybe we could get our hands dirty and actually physically create the slime. So it starts off digital, but then it goes to physical. And I think physical and digital can exist in the same speech therapy session. 
Completely agree. Yeah, that's something that I definitely coach clinicians on and teachers and parents is that it can we can have both, right? We can and an, an example that I give is there's an app called Peppy Bath, which I've actually mentioned on the podcast already because it's like one of my favorites. Um, but it's Peppy and she's dirty and she needs to like brush her teeth, take a shower. She even sits on the toilet. She can do all the things. And so if we're working on something like, you know, washing our hands, we can go through the steps with Peppy and then it's like, let's go to the sink, right? What were the steps to wash our hands? And so it's like, it doesn't have to be this either or. We can, you know, the iPad is easy to move around. We can, you know, have it and then we can put it behind our back and we can focus on something in, you know, the environment that we're in. But I think it's um, it's a great point that you mentioned that it doesn't have to be a passive experience. Um, you know, it can be passive for a portion, but then we can, you know, quickly shift to opening conversations about it. Another trick that I use too is just hitting the mute button because you can watch a video and especially if there's lots of actions going on facial expressions uh, I love using animated shorts for that specific reason but you can watch what's happening and you can create the dialogue you can create the story that you see um, is another strategy that I give clinicians because I think it's so easy to you know, engage students in something like that and have all these opportunities that are really language rich that's a genius idea to mute the audio think about our children that are trying to find their voice, if you will. And I can imagine that some students might get a real kick out of trying to adopt some of those, um, those movie trailer voice aspects, right? So they don't adopt it in their real world, but certainly in the speech therapy world, in the speech therapy room for that moment, we can play with our voices in very legitimate ways. So perhaps an idea that just off the fly, I'm thinking maybe I could find a movie that my student enjoys. We could find the trailer. And when we think about movies and such, we need to make sure it's appropriate, obviously. So yes, first and foremost, <laughs> let's make sure they're all like, you know, appropriate and G rated. <laughs> right, right. So we find the movie trailer that is appropriate. And then we pause it like you so brilliantly said. And then we could try to play with our voice to adopt a unique type of voice that maybe sounds like a movie trailer. And then we could just have conversations about what does that sound like? There's uh, instances of volume that come into play. So really what we're doing is we're playing with prosody and thinking about the emotion that goes along into certain uh, sentences and overall expressive communication. So that's a really cool way to, to use therapy in a digital way that then can who knows, perhaps give them some sort of idea that in the future they could be involved in some capacity in like the movie industry. I mean, you never exactly. know what seeds we're planting in, their, in the minds of our students. It feels perfect because I'm in LA. So, I mean, that could be an actual reality for the kids that I work with. <laughs> They're so close. Yes. We're so close to Hollywood. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love this idea of a movie trailer. Um, so Eric, what would you say, um, oftentimes, uh, you know, a lot of our audience, they work a lot with augmentative alternative communication and we have kids that have severely limited motivation or interest, it seems. So what would you say, um, you know, to someone who says, oh, they're not motivated by anything. What would your response be or how would you troubleshoot a situation like that? Sure, sure. So I think one of the most important things for us to do is to try to gain data from 
more than one source. So sometimes if we do touch base with someone such as the, the teacher, you know, that teacher might say, oh, you know what, they're just not motivated by anything. To recognize that's just one data source right there. So to get in the habit of having numerous data points. So to ask the parents, to ask uh, the siblings, to ask the, the teacher, to ask the aide. I think sometimes when we get into a situation like that, where someone's like, oh, they're not into anything. I think it's because maybe that person doesn't have the opportunity to see that particular child in an environment that allows the child to kind of show some of those things. So if you come across someone like that, you can, you can politely say, okay, you know, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. And then that's your opportunity to do a bit of detective work and find out other individuals that you could kind of tap into. And I think after doing some of that detective work, you're going to start to find some stuff. And then that's the stuff that you're going to use in a very real way. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes it's like, it's not what they're motivated to do. It's what they're motivated not to do. Right. So that's another really powerful thing is, you know, especially for the kids where the teacher's like, he's not motivated by anything. Um, you know, well, maybe he's not motivated to do his coursework. That feels like something where we can teach him how to say no or stop, or I don't like it. Um, you know, I, I, I find it really hard to believe that there's, you know, these, these children in the world that just don't have any motivations. It's just our work, like you said, as detectives to try to figure out what that is. That's our job is to figure out what a child is excited about, what makes them laugh and smile and really following that to then of course, teach communication. Mm. That's so true. So yeah, don't be afraid to find the things that they don't like because that might very well open up massive amounts of conversation. So if the child doesn't like a particular food, well, then that could be a starting point. And then you could create so many digital experiences where they get the opportunity to say, broccoli, no thank you. Broccoli, bleh, so on and so <laughs> forth, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, we were talking about, um, I forget exactly what we were talking about, but I thought to myself, oh, like, exactly. It's so fun to also teach other pragmatic functions besides just, you know, asking for what we want or answering questions and teaching kids how to comment. And I feel like when you manipulate photos, uh, it so easily lends itself to like, ew, that's gross. Or, you know, that's cool. Or I have this other uh, little girl that I'm working with right now and now everything's cute. So she'll say like, that's cute <laughs> on her device, which is so cute. Um, right. Like overusing it. Right. And, you know, of course mom's like, she's just saying it for everything. I'm like, but she's saying it. She's saying it. She's trying to contribute to the conversation. So like we can like figure it out down the line, teach her what's cute and what's, you know, not cute or whatever. But I'm just excited that she's excited to communicate with us. Absolutely. She's intentionally giving you some auditory output in those moments that are appropriate, right? So when I work with some children, sometimes they're not yet able to kind of give us the words, right? But sometimes they are able to give us different types of sounds that are very appropriate. So this touches on exactly just said things like, ew, things like, uh-uh, things like, Bleh. so when we really recognize the, the true communication aspect of those particular sounds, we know that that can be a wonderful starting point that perhaps could be used as a great foundation to be built on top of. 
Exactly. And you've all automatically established a really great rapport with a student, right? It's like, oh, this like, this lady's fun. She comes in and like, we get to say, ew, gross. And she sh shows me like, you know, really gross things. So, you know, because sometimes kids love that. Most kids love that. They think it's funny. And I feel like that's what we have to follow, right? We have to follow what they, you know, are interested in, what they think is cool and funny. Totally. So I've learned so much about slime over the last 12 months. <laughs> slime expert on our hands. <laughs> a couple of these students really just love slime. So we've made brown slime and we've had conversations about <laughs> poop and all we the while. We talk about that a lot on this podcast because lots of little boys think that's hilarious. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So all the while we're feeling the slime and we're talking about the texture. We're talking about all these great descriptive words and we're making silly faces. We're making silly noises and I'm doing it alongside my child. And that's what's so important. As clinicians, we have to be willing to kind of put ourselves out there in an attempt to build a rapport and to really show them that, hey, we like to have fun too. And we can have fun that revolves around using our voice and using our, our thinking brain to bring our voice together to create different sentences, so on and so forth. So don't be afraid to get wacky and zany because... That's what, you know, you and me, that's what we're all about. Well, exactly. And that's where you find like really authentic communication, right? I feel like that's what we're striving for. Not that kids can label flashcards or answer our questions. You know, it's not what we want to say, right? It's really what they want to say. And I feel like you have to, you know, really start uncovering what kids are, get really excited about. Um, so I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Like I'm making a complete fool out of myself oftentimes during my sessions. Um, and those are typically the best sessions that I have are the ones where I'm like, if my, if any Anyone in my immediate circle could see me right now, they would be like, what is she doing? <laughs> uh, but it's super fun and engaging, which is ultimately yeah. my, my top priority during my sessions. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about how you get parents engaged, because we know that that's sometimes a struggle, even in private practice. I'm in private practice, but you know, sometimes it's like parents drop them off and go get Starbucks, or it's the nanny who's dropping them off. Um, so what are some ways that you utilize, I guess, technology or otherwise to help get parents engaged into your sessions? Sure. One of the things I love doing is perhaps manipulating pictures of parents, right? So you might have the opportunity to say to mom or dad, hey, can you email me a picture of yourself? And at first you're just like, wait, what do you need a picture of me first? You know, like this is kind of strange. But once they get to know you, they understand that it's all part of the, the greater scheme of exciting the child, right? So in the same way that we can manipulate a picture of myself as the clinician or my client's face, we can also manipulate the, the pictures of the parents. And for some children that really, you know, tickles them. It's just so funny to be able to give their dad a funny mohawk or to give mom this really funny like lipstick all over her face, right? So recognizing that uh, because of email, we essentially do have access to our parents. So if they're able to share different photos of them, we can infuse that in a very meaningful way into our therapy sessions. And if we do have the luxury of having the parents with us during therapy, perhaps that's our opportunity to allow them to sit next to us for, for a portion of the time. And then maybe we could use an app to kind of get them in the, the experience in some capacity. So an example that comes to my mind, one of my most favorite apps is this app called Superhero FX. Mm -hmm. 
And it's an app that's, I think, like $2.99 on the App Store to unlock a bunch of these really cool lasers. And essentially what it does, it's this augmented reality app that allows you to put these different types of like lasers and like ice beams and stuff like out of your hands or out of your eyes so that you look like a, a superhero that's shooting out these these cool things right so in an opportunity to excite my students i might say something like hey have you ever seen well i might say something like this hey your dad's a superhero did you know that and then just posing that question might elicit a kind of a look like huh really and i'd say <laughs> oh, my dad <laughs> right, right. So then I might say, check this out. And I'm like, dad, trust me. And again, I have that report, the parents, so they're, they're on board, right? So dad kind of comes over and I'm like, dad, put your hand out. So the dad extends his hand out and then I'm using the app and I press the button. And then within five seconds, this really cool overlay is added on. It's a video now. And then the child's able to press play and they can see the video of dad's hand out and then zoom and then like there's this ice like laser beam coming out of dad's hand and then that elicits so many great uh, bits of conversation and ultimately it shows that parents can be involved in some kind of meaningful way that allows for a child to get really motivated so for that child that loves um, avengers and all these other marvel type experiences that's super uh superhero uh fx app that's on the uh, app store for ipads and iphones that can be something that really gets parents involved in a, in a really cool way and also what you just did in that scenario is you also modeled to a parent what they can do at home to elicit a similar response right it's like now we can do that to mom when we get home and we can do it to the brother and we can do it you know when we're again we're taking our therapy out of the therapy room and hopefully it's translating to more practice and more conversations and communication happening at home when we're not there which is ultimately our, our our number one goal, right, is that these things are happening outside of our therapy room. Yeah, that modeling is so key because it's one thing for us to perhaps write an email and say, hey, this is what we did. Here's what you can consider doing at home. But it's a whole other thing if they can physically see something. So I think that in addition to the, the clinical work that we do, where it's one-on-one -on -one with the child, we have to also think bigger and recognize how we're training our parents to be mini SLPs, if you will, so that they could continue the work in the home setting. So yeah, you're so right. That generalization really allows it. That generalization really happens when we show and when we model. Absolutely. So Eric, you've created 25 mobile apps that like when you wrote that in your bio, I was like, what? So tell us about your apps. How did you get into app development? And let's talk about some of them. I don't know if we have time to talk about all 25, but maybe you can give us the highlights reel. Sure, sure. So I was lucky in the sense that I was uh, an early adopter of computers, I think. And it wasn't me like, oh, wow, I'm so forward thinking. It was more so my environment. <laughs> so I have an older brother, which always helps. You know, my older brother got me into a lot of really cool music that I probably wouldn't have been into. Um, and he also got me into computers. So from a very young age, I was kind of exposed to computers. And this is well before um, computers were as prevalent, right? So I'm talking about like 1994, where you were super lucky if you had like AOL, right? And it was dial-up. Yeah, you had like super... a, a floppy disk. Remember floppy disks? <laughs> oh my gosh, the best, right? The best. 
Um, so with that being said, I kind of was really interested in this idea that there's this screen and there's stuff that can happen on a screen that's not necessarily a TV screen, right? And fast forward a few years and I was an early adopter of the iPhone and, and apps in general. And then when the iPad came out, I feel like it was like 2010. I, I could be wrong, but I, I got the first. That's about right, yeah. Yeah, like I grabbed that first generation thing. It was clunky, but I was into it. And my background in creative work definitely allowed me to very naturally ease on into this thing that is app creation. So app creation, you need to know a little bit of code, but you also need to know a little bit of graphic design. You need to know a little bit about audio experiences. And that all plays perfectly into my previous life. I used to be in a rock and roll band. And when you're in a rock and roll band, you gotta know about sound, right? So I knew a lot about recording different types of instruments and making demo you know, um, songs and such. Uh, you need to know a little bit of coding in the sense that you have to have some sort of web presence. So when I was in a band in 1998, like we had a website for our band and that wasn't very common back then. So yeah. I knew a little bit of HTML, right? And um, you need to know a little bit about uh, graphic design to make your website look somewhat decent. So it was a really seamless transition for me to take some of those past experiences and infuse them into the world of speech pathology to make apps. And the first set of apps that I made, and this is in 2011, 2012, was essentially attempting to digitize speech therapy flashcards, but adding an auditory component to them that went beyond just the visual aspect. So I've had a lot of fun playing on that idea of having wacky sentences in some capacity in these different apps that I've made. My first ever app was called Multiple Choice Articulation. So it would be an experience where a child would have um, an articulation word, right? Or an articulation sound. So let's say they work on the R sound. One uh, word might be rabbit. One sound might, or one word might be also radish. So having a multiple choice question where the child opens the app, then presses the button and then the audio clip comes up and it's like, what would you rather eat a rabbit stew or a, a, a radish cheeseburger? So perhaps that triggers some giggles, but then it also allows them to kind of practice the sentence in a way that is directly targeting that particular R sound. So I really have had a good time playing with that stuff and I voice a lot of my own apps. So it's kind of surreal when I use my own apps and I hear my own voice. It's just <laughs> I'm, sure like, you're, I'm sure the kids you work with are like, say what? <laughs> They're like, wait, hold on. How's that possible? And I'm like, ah, speech therapy magic right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but you know, I totally, I share with my, my students. I let them know that, Hey, you know, I made this thing. Because sometimes I think with today's youth, they see these digital creations, whatever they are, whether it's an app, whether it's a video game, they don't necessarily realize that like at one time it started as an idea in some capacity and through perhaps teamwork, perhaps through more learning, they're then able to turn that idea into something that can be um, physical. Well, I mean, we're talking about digital, but it's something that is very tactile in that you could you could touch it if it's uh you know on an ipad and i think it's important for our students to to recognize that because they're 21st century citizens and i'm not saying that 
every single one of our clients is going to go into a profession where they're going to be creating things that are digital. But I am saying that there will be a healthy number of students who will be involved in some sort of educational endeavor that has digital aspects to it. So big picture stuff is what I'm all about. And I want them to see that maybe some instance of digital creation might be in their future in some capacity. Yeah. And just like saying, you know, I think oftentimes it like feels so unachievable, right? It's like, oh, wow, like I could never make an app. Um, We have all these self-limiting beliefs, both children and adults. And so I think just opening up that conversation is a really good place to start because kids will say, oh, well, if he can do it, then like maybe I can do it. And I think that that's exactly what we want our kids to be believing, right? That they have the capacity to, you know, do whatever they set their minds to. Yeah. And that beautiful changing of the narrative, it doesn't necessarily look like it's related to speech, but it is related to speech because first and foremost, they're perhaps changing their own thoughts and feelings, right? And those are internal dialogue that we have. So sometimes as SLPs, we're constantly thinking about the external dialogue, right? The words that come out of our mouths. But how about the words that our heart says to ourselves or the words that our brains say to ourselves? We have to sometimes manipulate that in a way to get them further along in their journey. So what we just talked about, I think it's very, very appropriate for the speech language overall experience. Completely. Um, okay. So your, your face learning app, tell me about that one. Is that your latest and greatest? You know what I have to say? I think it is my greatest and it (laughs) certainly is my latest. So I have this cool idea, right? And this idea is I want to try to marry the the digital with the physical. So how I did that was I created this thing called Your Face Learning. And what it does, it's an app that allows you to snap a picture of your child's face. And with a couple taps of a button, you're able to impose your child's face on over 500 different early learning worksheets. So for example, Children, it's not uncommon for preschoolers to have different types of coloring worksheets where they're working on understanding their shapes or understanding their colors. A lot of these things are pictures of Paw Patrol or you know, pictures of Mickey Mouse. But imagine a child who's working on thinking about colors and there's a huge cartoon scene right in front of them. And the cartoon scene is a person who's holding up strawberries and holding up cherries and also holding up all these other red items. But the person's face is actually the child's face. It really is such a cool experience. I've been developing this on and off for the last, I would say, three years. It's been out for almost a year. It's been about nine months. And it's been a wonderful experience to see them create their own PDF files and we're able to print out these PDF files and they could be used in the therapy session right there or they could be used as wonderful quote unquote homework assignments for children when they get back home and they leave the therapy room. So I think that's a cool example of how we're marrying digital and physical together. They're taking a picture They're creating this thing on the iPad, but then the real finished product is a physical piece of paper that they can use physical crayons and and markers with. That's amazing. I am really excited to to check that out. And you have been uh, gracious enough to give some away to our listeners, correct? Absolutely. 
So if you guys haven't joined our Patreon, go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech, because that's where we're going to be giving away your face learning app. Eric, I'm so excited that you created this app. I'm also excited to check it out. We ask one question to all the people we have on the show. And that question is, if you had a billboard that every SLP could see, what would your billboard say? I would want my billboard to say one word. And that word, that word is smile. I think that a smile is such a, I think a smile is hands down the most beautiful vision on this whole planet. So when someone shows that they're smiling, they're really showing us a true sense of who they are. And I think sometimes life can get hard. And to smile is... I think when you make the choice to smile, you're really making the choice to kind of keep moving forward. And I think that if we could kind of teach that skill to not only our clients, but also to ourselves all around, we're just putting a lot of goodness in the world. So the word would just be smile in, in huge fonts. Because gosh, isn't isn't smile? Aren't smiles just so beautiful, Rachel? They really are. You guys can't see us right now. We're both smiling so big. <laughs> I love that billboard, and also I think it's something to remind ourselves. That's what we want to try to achieve in our sessions, right? We want to try to get as many smiles and giggles um, as possible because we know that we're headed in the right direction. We're headed towards opening the door to communication, which is ultimately our goal as speech language pathologists. Eric, thank you so much for coming on today. You are absolutely wonderful. Where? Can people find you online if they're interested in learning more? Definitely, you're doing presentations all over the country. Um, so I definitely recommend you guys follow Eric because he's doing really amazing work in our field. Yeah, please check out ericxraj.com or you could follow me on Instagram, ericxraj. And I look forward to chit-chatting with all of your wonderful listeners. Amazing. Thank you again, Eric, for coming on. I really appreciate you um, for talking with tech. I'm Rachel Mito joined with Eric Raj. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.